All right, good morning. Welcome to Middle Tech's Friday Update. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. Uh, we've got some good stories to talk about today involving uh, Adam Newman's latest raise, which is obviously very controversial if you've been on tech Twitter at all over the past two weeks. Uh, and then we're also talking about the merge. Uh, so Ethereum switching from a proof of work consensus to a proof of stake, which is pretty big news in the cryptocurrency world. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Colby Hall, uh, who is the executive director of SOAR. He's going to tell us about a new fund that has been set up for flood relief in eastern Kentucky. So we're excited to dive into those things. Uh, let's get Evan on here here in a second, and then we'll dive in. Uh, while, while we're waiting on Evan to join, we'll go over, over our sponsors real quick. So we've got uh, three sponsors of today's Friday update. We've got KY Innovation, uh, which is the state's um, uh, office for uh, entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. So big thank you to them for supporting us. Uh, we've also got Bolt Marketing, who built the Middle Tech website. And then we've got Render Capital, uh, who's a venture capital firm based out of Louisville. So thanks to our sponsors. Uh, and then we'll dive on in here in just a second. Um, we've also got uh, an interesting uh, This Week in Tech History back in August 16th of 1995, uh, Microsoft first introduces Internet Explorer. Uh, so I'm not sure the last time I was actually on Internet Explorer, uh, but it's it's been about 26 years since it was first released. All right, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, Colby in as well so that he can tell us a little bit about this fund that SOAR has set up for Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief. Good morning, Colby. What's up, guys? Can you hear me okay? We got you loud and clear. Good to see you both. How you guys doing? We're great, man. Happy to see you. I love the uh, the uh, New Frontier shirt you're rocking right now, too. I just got mine in last night. They they do a great job, man. Their stuff's so comfortable, and uh, yeah. I proudly rock it on Friday. Heck yeah, man. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about this fund that SOAR has set up for Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief. Yeah, man. Um, I, it's just, it's hard to put in words, you know, the devastation of of, of recent flooding events. It's, it's just... Uh, it, it's going to be a long-term recovery, right? And um, you know, we're 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 thinking in in months, years, even. But um, uh, obviously, kind of this first thing that uh, this first gap that that we're hearing about and we heard about um, as we kind of got past the initial cleanup and crisis phase was around schools. You know, we had a lot of schools in in the these impacted counties that were underwater. Um, uh, you know, from 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 Buckhorn and Perry County to Hyman Elementary School to Riverside Christian and, and Breathitt County. So, um, you know, really, we wanted to um, be mindful of those gaps and, and really think about students. Logan and Evan, as you can imagine, a lot of these students were were negatively impacted by COVID and were set behind in that transition period. And so, you know, we just put our heads together and said, hey, if there's something that we can do to support students, teachers, these schools um, related to um, needs that maybe weren't going to be met by other sources, right? That's what we were going to do. So we set up the EKY Student Support Fund. Uh, primarily, you know, we're looking at doing things like um, obviously technology uh, or equipment, laptops, Chromebooks. You know, we had one school tell us a thousand Chromebooks were destroyed. You know, one school tell us probably um, half their teacher devices were, were, were destroyed and they were concerned about it. So we've raised 60 grand so far um, and we're going to, you know, distribute a hundred percent of that back to buying into the, the needs that these schools have and, 
you know, honestly just listen to their resource centers and the principals to say, hey, what do you need? They give, they tell us what they need, and then we go do it. I mean, it's it's kind of kind of pretty simple. So trying to cut the red tape there. So so that's it. That's in a nutshell. And obviously, all donations or, or any supports, a hundred percent tax deductible towards a five hundred one c three. And um, there is no normal until you get back into school and kids start going back. I mean, that is like mm. the basic kind of rhythm of life, right? In 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 when you have kids and, and things like that. And as people get back to normal. So, you know, we're looking forward to, to getting started and trying to do what we can, what we can to help there. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you guys, you know, doing what you're doing down in Eastern Kentucky. Like you said, the devastation down there is just unimaginable. Uh, and you said something that, uh, when we first talked about it, that I want to bring up here. And it's just like, you know, when the, when the media, uh, when they leave and their cameras leave and everyone kind of, uh, quits being, you know, putting the initial response towards that disaster there's still a lot of support that needs to be sent that way so i'm glad you're down there uh, on the front lines making sure that that support continues to flow in uh, especially as the school year gets kicked off so uh, tell us real quick where people can find uh, the link to donate if they want to and then uh, we'll we'll let you go yeah just soar-ky.org it's our website soar-ky.org soar-ky.org if you if you go there on our homepage, just scroll down just a little bit and see all of our flood relief resources um there's a link right there logan for the ky student student fund and uh, we'd be thankful and grateful for um, any level of, of donation and support awesome well we'll put that on our story today as well to drive people to it uh but thanks again for all the work you're doing colby keep it up well hey thanks to you thanks to you both i don't know how you guys and both you guys running companies and in there and this is a full-time gig so really appreciate you guys and the effort you put into this and, and for having me on this morning absolutely man absolutely. appreciate that all right, you guys take care. Okay. See you, dude. See All right, Evan, let's uh, dive into these stories. So the first one that we've got on this doc here is talking a little bit, a little bit about Adam Newman. Um, so where to even start with this one? Do you want to just give some context for people who might not recognize the name right off the bat, where, where Adam Newman came from? Yeah, so Adam Newman is one of the most controversial founders, probably of our generation. Um, he founded WeWork. And so he created the notorious brand that everybody knows within the commercial real estate space and just in general. Really the, the big accomplishment that he had was he took one of the most boring, uh, out-of-date uh, industries in the entire world, commercial real estate. You know, nobody ever thinks about or cares about commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. And he made it more of a consumer fun brand that people wanted to be a part of. So for the first time, you had people around the entire world say, I want to work in a WeWork. And before, all they would do is just go look at, you know, normal bland office space within their given city. But now you had people, no matter where they could travel, no matter where they were, they said, I'm going to go work in a WeWork today. And so we basically recreated the idea of co-working. Co-working had existed, but he brought it to the mainstream and built a multi-billion dollar company. Now, along the way, he made, you know, he made some mistakes. Uh, he was not the best leader, I would say. Um, he was really just an emotional, very vision-driven leader is the way I would describe him based on what I've learned about him. And he really wasn't that great of um, uh, an example to set as far as what leadership looks like as far as responsibility maybe operational uh, awareness goes, uh, emotional intelligence in a lot of situations. But he did build an amazing brand and really changed the face of real estate. 
And that's an accomplishment in itself. And so the thing that happened at WeWork was they ended up getting a valuation that was completely unacceptable. And, um, you know, at one point it was valued around 40 billion and now it's around 9 billion, if I remember correctly. Um, so what happened was the, the VC world looked at WeWork and said, this is going to be a $40 billion company. Let's value it at that. Uh, there was no really clear path to that, but they wanted a piece of it. And so people like um, SoftBank and some of them are very large investment banks and VCs just poured money into WeWork. Well, eventually <clears throat> it crashed and it crashed because eventually people started to realize that they weren't going to meet the valuation. Uh, their revenue, their growth metrics, they just weren't there. And around the time COVID was happening, uh, they basically had a complete crash. They were supposed to IPO um, and they did it. And their valuation again was slashed uh, way more than half, uh, down to about $9 billion. And so the media and many people within the entrepreneurial space looked at Adam and said, this guy is a complete failure. He's a fraud. Uh, and, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with him. So since then, uh, he's dropped off the face of the earth. Um, he's no longer CEO. SoftBank basically acquired them, and he kind of went into hiding for about two years. And nobody really knew what he was doing. Um, and then after about uh, two years, over the last several years, so he started to make appearances uh, and say that he was working on some things. So what the story is this week is he launched a new company called Flow. And Flow is supposed to be a residential real estate company, not a commercial real estate company. And I would imagine it's going to have the exact same ethos, the exact same mission as we work, but for residential real estate. And he raised uh, $350 million from A16Z, which is a top five VC in Silicon Valley, uh, one of the most well-known. So he, he's been off the face of the earth for about three years now. And then all of a sudden he comes back and raises $350 million and people are kind of looking around and saying, how did this guy get funded again? And how is his company before it's even started valued at a billion dollars? So there's a lot of just speculation. Why is this happening? Um, and, and that's kind of the, the story there that he started another company. It's in real estate again, and this time it's residential and he raised uh, a very, very large round. It's actually A16Z's largest check they've ever written um, into, into a company. Uh, first check. Before we dive into what Flow does, I think the the first dynamic to kind of cover there is, you know, what's your take on a company being valued like that before it even really kicks off? Like him getting three hundred fifty million dollars before the company's mature at all. I know that's just typical in the VC world, but do you think that do you think that just leads down the same path that WeWork went down essentially? Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's typical in the VC space. I would say that valuations have been really high over the last couple of years. Um, they're, they've come way down. Um, but I think what's different about this is there's real estate involved. So it didn't say in any of the reports whether or not the real estate that he's been buying across the country is included in that valuation. It would have, I can't imagine it, it not being unless it's in a separate holding, unless it's in a separate entity. I, and he's just raising money for some kind of software play on top of the real estate. Um, it is a hefty valuation. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know. There's not enough information about what the actual product of flow is to, to really say whether or not it's appropriate for a billion dollar valuation. 
But if, if you don't know anything about it, it just doesn't look good. Like a billion dollar valuation <laughs> before there's a product is, is pretty crazy. But I would imagine that takes into account the real estate in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine so as well, but geez, I mean, tech Twitter, most people I follow have been pretty quick to jump all over them. I mean, it's been a lot more negative, at least towards A16Z and Adam Newman than it has been positive. Um, but it sounds like you're more on the, on the positive side. It sounds like you're, you're cool with it at least. Yeah. I mean, the thing is he started a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, he changed the face of real estate forever. Real estate was, was boring and there were no brands. There was no such thing as a brand in real estate. Um, and then he came along and made a consumer facing brand in the commercial space that people wanted to be a part of. And that that's a really big deal. And so if you are a, a VC and you look at a founder that was able to accomplish that, they learned from their mistakes. They, you hope they did. They had to, have. you know, that there's no way that you don't learn from what he went through there. And then you, I would back him. I would back him again. I mean, the thing is that there's only so many people in the world that have started billion dollar companies and change the face of the branding world within an entire industry. And if your job is to find returns and, you know, 10X your money, then you're going to take bets on people like Adam. And if right. I'm in, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, if I'm in uh, Mark Andreessen's shoes or Ben Horowitz's shoes, you know, I would, I would be backing him as well. Um, we don't have to touch on this too heavily, but I, I know you and I have talked a lot about, uh, the documentary that came out on Apple TV about, uh, about we work, we crashed. Uh, I just want to touch real quick on your take on portraying an entrepreneur in the way that Adam was portrayed on this. I mean, it was, it was essentially just like almost character assassination. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I do think he made a lot of mistakes. I mean, there's a lot of stories out there about how he ran the company, the way he um, treated women, the way that he flew around on his jet, you know, I, I think that all of that um, has not come out as extremely public and whether or not it's true. Um, there are witnesses that, that say it's true and, you know, we've got to listen to those people. But the thing I just don't like is that he was never charged with anything. And I don't know how the media is allowed to disparage him like that if he wasn't ever charged with anything. And so the, this, this narrative of he's a fraud, he needs to never be allowed to start another company. Uh, I, I don't like the fact that people are comfortable tearing down an entrepreneur that accomplished that much. If he wasn't ever charged with anything and you, you know, he called him a fraud and then these shows come out that, you know, depict him in a light that, you know, is, you know, greatly um, exaggerated. You know, I, I just didn't want to watch it. Um, and he came out and did an interview to kind of get out in front of those, those shows um, I just don't think it's good as a society to uh, look at entrepreneurs in that light uh, after they create something. I do think we have to be very critical of them. And if they, if what people are saying is true, then we have to like hone in on those individual instances, but I don't think it's appropriate to disparage an entire career or, or character uh, like that um, with, with TV, if he's never charged with anything. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds with flow. Um, I still feel like we don't really understand the full business model, which is kind of hilarious seeing that we know that he just raised $350 million. So uh, that'll be a fun story to kind of follow along with. We'll, we'll continue to provide updates about that. Um, this last story, we'll just kind of briefly touch on this just because it's kind of a, a big deal in the uh, cryptocurrency world. Uh, so if you know, if you follow cryptocurrency at all, you've likely heard of Ethereum. 
Uh, it's the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap right behind Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, a big happening is going on in Ethereum. Uh, I think it's happening officially September 15th, and that is called uh, what's being dubbed as the merge. Uh, so the merge is when Ethereum is going to switch from uh, a proof of work consensus to a proof of stake consensus. Uh, and just to define what those two things mean really quick, uh, proof of work is essentially uh, relying on computers that have to run massive algorithms to solve math equations to essentially verify the blockchain for the Ethereum network. It takes up a lot of energy. It's one of the main critiques of blockchain and cryptocurrency is how much energy it consumes. So it's switching from this proof of work over to what's called proof of stake, uh, which uh, I don't understand 100%. I'll be honest. I know it's more so uh, using the amount of Ethereum that you have uh, and stake on the network to verify transactions. Uh, but this, this merge is going to make Ethereum a lot more efficient in terms of the, the energy it consumes. Uh, so Evan, do you, uh, do you have a take on this in terms of the impact it could have on, on cryptocurrency in general? I know you're not super into cryptocurrency, but I do think this is a pretty big story for uh, the second largest crypto out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the key difference here is that Ethereum is more of a platform for building applications on top of, and Bitcoin's more of a uh, transactional uh, money-based blockchain. And proof of work works really well in that situation for Bitcoin because it's so secure and it's all about the length of time that the, the blockchain has existed. And um, in order to basically wipe and uh, create a fraudulent situation within the Bitcoin blockchain, you have to do a 51% attack, which um, is just not that feasible. Um, it is feasible, but it's just, you know, it's hard to imagine um, that taking place. Uh, the difference here is that with proof of stake, um, the the ability to overtake the network moves with the value of the entire blockchain, the entire network. So it's a little bit more uh, vulnerable to an attack. But the difference is that Ethereum is more so with, uh, again, building platforms. So an attack or an overtake uh, is not... Uh, as big of a deal, in my opinion, as if an attack or an overtake were to take place with, with Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is, of course, uh, does have value attached to it. That's why you can trade it. And it's a cryptocurrency. But again, I do think there's a, just a key, dif a key difference here between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and, and in order to build a scalable platform that applications can be built on, you have to make sure that the underlying network is scalable from an environmental perspective and from a, a transactional basis. Way more transactions can now take place on Ethereum's network way more quickly on the base layer than Bitcoin can imagine. Um, Bitcoin's just not scalable whatsoever. Um, and so there's two different technologies here. There's two different purposes that the underlying technology is used for. Um, and this is the right move, I think, for a platform that other people are trying to build on. People are not trying to build on top of Bitcoin like they're trying to build on top of Ethereum. So um, this is just an important step for Ethereum to take in order for, you know, DeFi, um, dApps, so decentralized applications to, to scale and reach more consumer levels. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things to pay close attention to because this is one of those iterations of uh, a new and emerging technology. I know that uh, cryptocurrency has been around for, you know, uh, 10 plus years now, over 10 years. Uh, actually, maybe less than 10 years. Um, anyway, uh, it's one of those things that's like, as this new technology 
uh, innovates and uh, changes, this is one of those major changes that I think is we're going to look back on and uh, we're going to see it as a very significant point in, in the history of cryptocurrencies. Um, other than that, you have anything else that you'd like to add before uh, wrapping it up? Nope. Cool. Um, so tomorrow for Weekend Thoughts, we have uh, an episode coming out by me. Uh, uh, I ran an Instagram poll asking uh, which Weekend Thoughts I should record and the one about having a healthy relationship with social media is the one that won. Uh, so that Weekend Thoughts is coming out tomorrow. And then we have uh, a Middle Tech podcast episode coming out on Monday with uh, Reed Ezel, uh, who is down in Nashville working with WeFunder. Um, so we got some good content coming out here over the next couple of days. Other than that, I hope everyone has a great rest of their Friday and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see y'all. See ya.